0: For our scripture reading from Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And from Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release the prisoners to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in zion to give them a garland instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit they will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God.
1: friends we've been in a new series now this is our second week on the beatitudes and looking at what these words from jesus at the beginning of the gospel of matthew mean to us as the people of the kingdom the people of god's body in jesus christ and so we are trying to understand what does it mean to be blessed in the way that jesus uses here at the beginning of the sermon on the Mount. We saw last week as we began this series and we kind of looked at it from a 10,000 foot view that this concept of blessed is not one that is of a future promise, that there is no verb here, that this is kind of from a way of, of Hebrew language in the Psalms that actually declares it being a nature from within ourselves right now in the current moment. And so when Jesus opens up his words about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which is such an important topic in the Gospel of Matthew, and he begins to talk about what it means to be people of the kingdom, he declares that the kingdom people are blessed. And then he begins to, d- to describe all these different conditions of people that we wouldn't really particularly consider blessed in many ways in our society, in our culture, and neither would they have in his day. And so in his day, he is speaking against kind of the worldliness, the world kingdom, as it's set up where power and luxury and and feeling good and feeling safe and secure, that those are the things that we tend to seek after in our sinfulness and in the kingdom of the world. But instead, he's flipping the kingdom of the world on its head, turning it upside down. And he's declaring blessed the people that we tend to often think of as the least blessed, or the people who are maybe in distress. So this first week, he addresses something that Jesus talks about a lot in all the rest of the Gospels. Over and over and over again, Jesus addresses the issue of money and of seeking after worldly gain. And so in this first of the Beatitudes, Jesus says that, it, that the poor in spirit are the ones that have this blessed nature, this blessedness that comes from within. And then he says, as an opening salvo to his message of the kingdom, that it's these people, the people who are poor in spirit, who will receive the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to be careful that even though we're going to talk about money here, that Jesus isn't particularly pointing out money. He is using the term poor. And there's a couple different words in Greek that could be used here. But the one that Jesus is using is one of absolute destitution, not one of just being a little bit poor or being, you know, just kind of uh, barely making it or barely getting by. Not that like, oh, well, I don't have the newest iPhone. I only have, you know, four-year-old iPhone. No, not that kind of poor. Um, Jesus is talking about absolute destitution when he uses this word poor in this gospel. And so Jesus is giving a connection to physical wealth, but really because Matthew adds what Jesus said there, poor in spirit, Jesus is going beyond just material wealth. But I wanna look a little bit about the audience Jesus would have had sitting there on the mountainside in Galilee. Remember we talked about that kind of bowl-shaped area right off of the sea, that they believe that it took place in and how there's all these boulders kind of on the mountain. So it would have been easy for the huge crowd that was there to have been there and gathered and sit. So what kind of people would have been there? Well, if you look up and you do any research on the condition of the economy of the Roman world in the first century, you would know that almost every single person who was in the Roman empire lived at at least the subsistence level or below. They, in fact, actually think nine out of 10 of all the residents of the Roman Empire lived at just the subsistence level, which meant that they were farmers, fishermen or marketplace, you know, people that that, um, artisans that basically just made enough to get by. They were just living hand to mouth. They were living paycheck to paycheck. And there wasn't really a middle class. That There's not like there's then a middle class section and then there's the upper class. No, it's pretty much the 90% who were living at subsistence or lower. And then there was the 10% who were kind of the ruling class who lived off of the taxation of those subsistence people. And they were very wealthy. They were much more wealthy than what you would consider a middle class for those days. And so it was basically this division between the very wealthy and the very poor the very wealthy not only had lots of money, but they also had lots of power and the poor didn't have much power at all. And in fact, if a drought hit, or if, like we see when Jesus first calls his, his first disciples, they have a bad night of fishing that they catch nothing, that they could lose possessions because they could go into debt and then the debt collectors could come around and decide, you know what, you need to pay us back your debt so you got to give us your boat. Or now you got to start paying us more of your revenue so that we can collect out. And so we're going to we're going to basically lease your boat back to you or they might take the property that they were using to farm from them. And they might then instead en- enlist them as slaves or servants to pay off their debt um, by working the land that they once owned but now is owned by the debtor. And so these ways of living were common to the people that Jesus was speaking to. So most everybody on the hill there, 90% of them, if you just look statistically, would have been people who were barely making it by. Our country, the poorest of the poor in our country, would have been considered to be probably wealthy in consideration to how most of the people that Jesus was talking to lived. The people in our country who are in the most destitute of straits in our society have still more than a lot of the people that Jesus was speaking to. And so in comparison, we are an incredibly wealthy nation. And so these people really had a need for physical things in order for their lives to actually be more secure. And when you're in that kind of situation, oftentimes you are consumed with the things that you don't have because those things you don't have are very apparent to you, right? If you don't have food for your children to eat, or if you don't have food for yourself to eat, you're going to be much more heightened awareness about what you don't have. And so these people who Jesus was talking to were in a complete state of recognizing that they were not wealthy. And so when Jesus is addressing them and saying that the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of heaven, this is an incredible message of hope to these people. That these people are seeing that Jesus is the Messiah who has come, who has said that he's going to reclaim all things, rebuild all things, and restore Israel to the way that it was designed to be. And it goes further than just wealth. But let's talk about wealth a little bit in that society. Let's talk about what wealth was seen as. Well, in their society, wealth was seen as a gift from God. And and I don't think that this is actually incorrect. Because remember, when Abraham is given the promise, the, the covenant that Abraham is to fall into or to live into if he is obedient to God, what is the end result of that covenant? The end result would be that his descendants that were going to be numerous as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand right in the sea and so as numerous as possible which is a sign of wealth right the more kids you can have the more that um, you can actually sustain those kids means more wealth you would have but then they're going to inhabit what the land that is say it yell it those of you who are in your cars flowing with milk and honey A land of abundance, a land of wealth. And so there is this idea that when you had wealth, when you had abundance, that it somehow was a result of the blessing of God in your life. And that maybe there was something you did or your parents did right that allowed for your family to gain this kind of wealth. You all remember and you guys have heard many times Jesus says the statement later in this gospel that that even uh, the rich cannot make it to heaven, right? That they cannot because it's as difficult as a camel going through the eye of a needle. And then the disciples, after that statement, are shocked that he makes this statement. Have you ever wondered why the disciples are shocked at this statement? Well, because their assumption in the way that they saw the world, if there was anybody who was blessed enough that they could make it into heaven because they've done something so right, it would be the wealthy. The people who had done so right in the eyes of God that they had been blessed by God with wealth and security. And so for them to hear that the wealthy would have this hard time, their response then is, well, then who could make it? Who could make it into the kingdom of God? And Jesus is responsible. What is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, God was going to provide the way for salvation, not any way of our own work or our own effort that can gain us wealth or gain us security or gain us whatever we need. It was God who was going to provide the way for us. So wealth is inherently not a bad thing. And in fact, we can look at statistics around the world today and you can look and see that a wealthier a nation gets generally, the healthier the people get right? Wealth brings medical care, it brings advances in technology, it brings in uh, agricultural development so that you can feed more people. And so wealth is not a bad thing. Even in the gospels, wealth is acknowledged not as a bad thing, but something that is good and something that God actually desires for his people that we would be taken care of. But Jesus, when he talks about money, Make sure over and over and over again that he's not demeaning wealth in and of itself, but demeaning the seeking of wealth. You see, one of the results of sin, one of the things that we do in desiring to be God and desiring to make our own way and to be secure in and of ourselves rather than to be dependent on the one who created us, is that we, if we can gain enough things to feel secure, if we can gain enough things to feel in power over our own lives, if we can gain enough things to make whatever dreams we have come true, because we have the means to make it, then we ourselves feel like we're in control. We ourselves feel like we are in control. And so Jesus over and over warns of the danger of this kind of mentality of seeking after wealth, then he, he promises that wealth is not going to be what saves you in the end. That wealth is not a God that is going to provide you ultimate eternal security the way that the God that who created us can. And so this this God of wealth shouldn't be served or sought after at the level of or even remotely close to the way that you serve and seek after the God who created all things. Because only in the God who created all things can you truly be blessed. So when Jesus is making this statement at the beginning of his Beatitudes that blessed are the poor in spirit, what Jesus is talking about is a type of condition in your heart, a type of condition in your being in which you recognize that there is nothing you can do to gain value for yourself or salvation or security or luxury for yourself that can overcome what God can do for you. That you have nothing, you have no capabilities without God in your life. That you are absolutely and utterly dependent on the creator of this universe for your existence, for your security, for your luxury, for your, for your provision. All of this comes from the God and creator of all things. And so in order for you to be one who is going to inherit the kingdom, is going to be able to have the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like somebody who is poor, somebody who recognizes how much they don't have, despite whatever trappings you do have in your life, so that you can recognize your absolute and absolute abject poverty, before the God and creator of all things in your spirit so that you would be dependent on God and God alone. Jesus illustrates this throughout his ministry in many different places, right? And in one place, there is a, a sinner, a tax collector who comes to the temple and he, he's sitting there and he's beating his chest and he's beating his chest and he's, he's just pouring out his heart to God and asking for forgiveness of God. He recognizes his poverty before his creator. And then a priest comes and sees him and the priest looks and says, oh, thank you God that I'm not as horrible a person as this tax collector here. Who gets it? Which one of those two are poor in spirit? The tax collector, right? The one who recognizes his absolute dependence on God for his salvation. The priest who thinks he has it all together is not poor in spirit. So as we are living in a country of luxury and wealth, and as we are a people of luxury and wealth, and as we have pretty much anything that we can think of in our lives, we all have, I mean, first of all, everybody hold their cell phone outside of their car door. You guys realize that this makes you more powerful than most of the kings have ever been on earth, that you have the the entirety of human knowledge at your fingertips, you can calculate things and you can you can make transfers of your funds you can talk to people from tens of thousands of miles away from you this thing makes you wealthier than most the kings of the earth in times past have been so we live in a time of incredible luxury in a, in a country of incredible luxury and so if we are to take seriously what it means for us to be people who are poor in spirit then we must Determine that we are still in absolute destitution when it comes to our spiritual condition before God, and that without God, we can do nothing, we can accomplish nothing, and we can be nothing for all eternity unless we turn to God and are dependent on God. And as we see in this story, Jesus is actually telling them something more deeply than just about money. Because we also recognize the condition of the people of Israel was that they were being oppressed and, and held down by a foreign power, the Roman Empire. And in the minds of the Jewish people, even in those who were subsistence farmers or fishermen sitting on that hillside that day, the, one of the bigger concerns than just their own money was that the people of Israel would be able to be restored to a position of dominance over the world. There was a there was a sense of pride in the idea that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would conquer the foreign powers, would liberate the people of Israel and would place them back into the position of power over the earth so that they would judge and rule the nations. And they expected that the Messiah was going to do this. So as they came to see this new preacher who was being buzzed about, who people were hearing was performing all these miracles. They expected that Jesus was going to go about his ministry, that that in the end he would become a powerful conqueror of the nation of Rome. And yet what do we know about the story of Jesus? Jesus doesn't go that route. Right, Jesus as we looked at last week embodies each of these statements in the beatitudes, showing what it means to be a person of the kingdom. And so Jesus himself becomes poor in spirit. He makes himself dependent on the people around him, and he makes himself completely dependent on his Father in heaven and follows in absolute absolute obedience to the Father's commands even when it ends him on a cross. So this is the way of the kingdom, to become absolutely dependent on the God and creator of all things so that we would become God's people doing his will on this earth in whatever way he calls each and every one of us to do it. No matter how much wealth you have, God is calling you to be poor in spirit, to be recognizing of your need for him and to be casting yourself on him moment by moment. As you go out this week and as you attempt to be kingdom-oriented people, kingdom-minded people, people of God's kingdom, spend time this week meditating on how you need God in order to accomplish anything. How in order for you to even exist, you need God to hold you together and put yourself into the mindset of being poor in spirit so that you might be filled up with God's presence and you might become not only a blessed person, but a blessing to others in life around you. And may the God of blessing give you in abundance this week a recognition of of his spirit in your life so that you might live in obedience to him and you might become a person who changes this world for his kingdom. Amen.